Welcome to Junkyard Theory, folks. Today's guest is somebody I've been meaning to get on the show since uh, the Academy Award nominations were announced. And actually, you know what? Before that, way before that, since I saw <clears throat> the sequel to uh, a ten-year-old, uh, a, a sequel ten years in the making to uh, a little film about a little cat and a, an obnoxiously aggressive little cat who, uh, you know, managed to steal all our hearts. And uh, I am so delighted to have Joel Crawford on the show today. Joel, thank you so much for joining. Are you born, man? Are you born? <laughs> thank How's you for going? having me. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I said that even remotely close and it didn't sound like something offensive. No, nope, no. Nope. You said it perfectly. It sounded like a true Sri Lankan. Excited to be here, man. <laughs> Joel, uh, man, uh, you know, first, first off, congrats with Puss in Boots too, uh, and you know, pretty much everything else that you've done. You, you had quite the journey uh, in the filmmaking sphere. You know, starting out as a storyboard artist to you know making your way, uh, climbing your way up the ladder to becoming a director. Uh, I want to know, uh, 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 you know, I want to know the story behind that. You know, Puss in Boots is origin story. What, but what's yours? Ah, oh. <laughs> I don't know if I'm as exciting as uh, <laughs> the cat with nine lives, but, um, you know, uh, I, I've always just loved drawing, loved telling stories. Um, and, um, you know, really I, at, at a young age, I kind of fell in love with, with art. Um, and in kind of a weird way, I found art where I was, uh, when I was, I think it was five and a half years old. Um, I was, I was this very hyper crazy kid running around nonstop. Um, and, uh, that's not this... too different from Puss in Boots. <laughs> <laughs> Drew from some uh, life experiences. <laughs> and actually, um, I kind of had a, uh, a brush with death myself <laughs> at Whoa. that young age. Um, so I was, um, I remember I was at my grandma's house and we were, I was playing around in the backyard and there was a, um, this, this brick wall that was probably about like six feet tall, but like I was, you know, little short five-year-old. Um, and I climbed up this brick wall to see what was on the other side. And while, while I was up there, the whole wall started to like rock and teeter back and forth. And these are big like cinder blocks. And it turned out whoever constructed the wall didn't put metal rebarb in it. So, it was just stacked kind of concrete. Um, and so the whole wall fell and I fell back. Um, miraculously, I was kind of thrown back. And so um, I didn't get crushed by these giant <laughs> bricks, but um, one of them ended up smashing my my toe, ampu amputating a couple of my the ends of my toes. So very, very kind of tragic thing. Um, <laughs> and I, I you know, was rushed to the hospital. And as a hyper crazy little kid, I could no longer move around. And I remember my my grandma brought me like stacks of, of just printer paper. And I just started drawing and I just kept drawing. And I found this, I got lost in this, um, in being able to, to create characters, create stories. And um, I remember my, my mom, when she went out to, uh, you know, I was in the hospital and, and she stepped out for, for lunch and then came back. And she said, when she came back, she saw 
you know, the, the hospital bed I was in, there was a bunch of like nurses and doctors standing around me. And she's like, oh, what happened? What happened while I was gone? It was just his foot, you know? And like, um, and then it turned out they were watching me draw <laughs> a little five-year-old. <laughs> so, and, and, um, you know, so really that kind of kicked off this thing where, um, I think it, it wasn't just about drawing pictures. It was about how I felt, um, creating art and, um, I learned later that I have ADD and I was in like special ed throughout school. And um, when like having such like a, a brain that's just kind of shooting off everywhere, there's very rare kind of instances where there, you are totally in one focus and yeah. art for me in is, is one of those things. And so um, that really kicked off my love of drawing. And from then on, I was like, I want to, I want to work in animation. I want to work in live action. I want to work. Um, I want to create stories. Um, and so then I, um, I ended up going to uh, Cal Arts for um, uh, for character animation, and I went there for about three years. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, when I was at school, like it, the film school is such a special time because you learn so much from great teachers, but you also learn so much from your peers that you're yeah, there sure. with and and you create these these kind of lasting friendships um that i've been fortunate to like for example on puss in boots and on crudes a new age the production designer nate rag he and i were in at cal arts together so we've known each other for a long time um the head of story on puss in boots heidi joe gilbert her and i were were in the same year at school and so and we so you have like all these these people that you develop kind of a shorthand with, and I've been really fortunate to be surrounded by amazing people my entire career that I, I learn and I'm inspired off of. Um, and so, you know, after, after going to CalArts, I, I did leave a year early. I had an opportunity to um, go storyboard on the um, Avatar Last Airbender as a, as a and it was just a, a short stint. Um, but so grateful for that opportunity to continue learning from such talented people, um, such an amazing show. And then, yeah. um, and then I took a, a story training um, opportunity over here at DreamWorks. Um, and I think that was 18 years ago. <laughs> um, and so from there, I, I, I guess I never said I'm going to be a director. I just said, I want to tell stories. I want to be part of that. And I loved storyboarding because you get an opportunity to get a piece of the, of the movie. And um, as one of kind of my mentors told me, Mike Mitchell, um, who I worked on Shrek Forever After um, with, um, he told me, he's like, don't think of this as just storyboarding. I'm giving you a section of the movie. You're the director. This is your short film. You've and got Mike's question to the person who uh, produced Puss in Boots too as well, right? Um, no, Mike, um, so Chris Melandondri was the, um, executive producer and then, um, Mark Swift is, was the producer. Mark, gotcha. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's somebody I, I met later on. Um, gotcha, yeah. but, I, but here's back to the thing of like, you, you're surrounded by so many great people mm. and, um, working for this, uh, great director, Mike Mitchell on Shrek forever after I, I found this like, um, this point of view of like, oh, as a storyboard artist, I'm, it's like a small section of the film, but I'm treating it like, like a film. I'm making choices 
whether what are the shots what what's the dialogue what's what gets the the emotion across and um and so really you know my um my career here at dreamworks has been such a great training ground as a storyboard artist to eventually step into being head of story on um the first trolls movie and then after that i directed um, the trolls holiday special which was just fun and crazy <laughs> and then uh on to crude's a new age nice. uh where i had the opportunity to be paired up uh mark swift the producer who's a, now just such a good friend of mine he's such a talented man and like um so we worked together again on puss in boots last wish um and the and i gotta say one other person Daniel Mercado, who is the co-director on Puss in Boots Last Wish, he and I met years ago on Kung Fu Panda 2 when we were both storyboarding. And it was that kind of thing of like, oh, we got to work together. We have the same sensibilities and the shorthand with each other. And so um, Daniel was head of story with me um, on Crudes and then on Crudes A New Age. And then I had him as co-director on this recent film. So um, been a crazy run. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, something that you said earlier just stuck with me, the the fact that, you know, you <clears throat> you had ADHD and it was just artwork or drawing that kind of, fun, you know, uh, give you tunnel vision in a certain way. And that speaks volumes about that saying, you know, you if you uh, ask a fish to climb a tree, it's going to uh, spend its entire life thinking it's an idiot, you know? Um, I've never heard that saying. <laughs> I love that saying. <laughs> that's awesome you know it is true and i was very fortunate where i mean i did go through thinking i was an idiot for a while in in school um especially i'm one of four children and i have a twin sister who happened to be very good academically and so um a lot of times my parents were great they would never compare us in a way mm -hmm. but uh, some teachers would you know, think like yeah. I wasn't trying because I'd be struggling in math and certain subjects where my sister was in the accelerated program. I, they ended up testing me in junior high because I was struggling so much. And that's where they're like, yeah, you have ADHD. I passed that test. That was the one. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it ended up being such a great thing because I was put in this, this special ed program where mm. I had teachers that, that would, pretty much explain what, what you just said in that phrase, which is you're, you're not, you're not dumb. Your brain operates differently than, than the average that is, you know, way that is being taught. And they would gear things that were, I think, more toward like a, a visual, they're like, you're, you're a visual learner. And I was able to, you know, learn in that way. And yeah. so, um, yeah, I think that's the thing is like, there is, when you're trying to do something that that isn't <laughs> what you're meant to do in a way it, you can struggle yeah. but when you find that and then i feel grateful that i just at a young age found like art and just having parents that were like pursue what you love um and so um yeah that's really it's inspiring to hear man because like not not you don't uh, get parents supporting kids uh when it comes to uh, them picking the arts for the most part certainly you know not in this region but uh yeah you're, you're lucky you're lucky that you found it uh discovered it at such a young age like you said yeah and, and i guess you know my parents um neither one had like um like a good career or like 
Um, and so they were working jobs to just get by. And so we never had like a lot growing up. And so I think from their point of view is like, like, look, we're, we're struggling. I mean, obviously there's two ways to go of like, find a career that's, that's secure and you're going to make good money. But their thing was find what you're passionate about and follow it because you're going to be doing it for so much of your life, at least love it. And so super <laughs> grateful that they had that point of view. That's, that's amazing. Uh, Joel, so talk to me about Puss in Boots, right? Like, this sequel comes a little over 10, over 10 years since the original came out. And waiting, I, I listened to a panel of yours uh, that was conducted at the Academy. And what you said was DreamWorks didn't want to go ahead with it until uh, you guys got the story right. And you hear about so many films that are rushed into production, especially when, you know, uh, you have a movie that's uh, really successful you want you want sequels you want the franchise to develop but you know starting off with Shrek and then eventually having the Puss in Boots spin-off his own standalone movie and then getting the sequel like 10 years later that's not a trajectory you hear of normally you know <laughs> it's crazy yeah yeah and the fact that this story worked so well even you know to, uh, in, in many ways even better than its predecessor talk to me about the magic behind that you know, I, I do think there was something uh, magic in this premise, but it was also very ambitious and very challenging to crack because very this premise... human also, you know, very that's something about. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of existential. The, I think that's the word existential. Very, it, yeah. it, it's wrapped in this this kind of fun, fantastical uh, premise of a cat on his ninth life. <laughs> uh, is going to discover the importance of what one life can be. Mm. And um, what I loved about it right when I came in was like, that's, that's so um, absurd on one hand and so um, meaningful on the other and really wanted to kind of marry the, the two ingredients of the, the fun fairy tale absurdity with a, with a, a, a deep message that is for every human being, you know, independent of their age. Um, and so that was, I think what we ended up unlocking on Puss in Boots, but what was also the challenge why it took so many years, because that this premise existed from right after the first Puss in Boots, they were, they were trying to work on this story that like, Oh, Puss has, you know, one life left. And I think it was the balance where it's like, it could easily get too dark and too, like mm -hmm. too maybe complex for some ages, or it could be, you stay in the absurd of a cat on nine lives and it's not relatable to, it just feels yeah. like it's fun, but it's not touching you as a human being. And so, um, I think that's what, what was really exciting about this journey of of cracking this movie in a way was finding a way to approach the topic of death, but through comedy and, and in a kid's topic. movie. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's what we kept telling ourselves is like, we we're, we're making this, I, I have three kids from age 10 to 15. Um, and we, we were telling ourselves like, we want our kids to be able to watch this. We want everybody to be able to watch this and we don't want to exclude anybody, but we're also not making a kid's movie in a way where we're, mm -hmm. we're making, we, we said so like, I think a lot of times um, 
things can be watered down or simplified, oversimplified because they say kids won't understand it. Um, yeah. Kids are inherently in a world they don't understand and are constantly making connections to, to put things together. And so if you trust the intelligence of the audience, then I think you can tell messages that are, that, that take on more, more challenging topics, such as, you know, the meaning of life and, and um, the fears, anxieties, emotions that, that everybody feels, but not everybody talks about. And I, um, that was what was exciting to like, to say, you know what, I think we can do something. We can have something like a, a panic attack in the middle of the story where puss, you know, just <laughs> fear overcomes him and not have much dialogue and trust that adults and kids will relate to this, this talking cat <laughs> who, who is experiencing, you know, anxiety, fear, and in a the form of a panic attack. <laughs> that panic attack scene, I mean, he's, he gets that and you get Burrito uh, coming and laying his head on Puss's chest afterwards. I was, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. It was so deep. It was so deep and it was like, very well put together you actually have that trajectory where you get this arrogant little cat who's not afraid of anything but then when he realizes he's on his very last life and he's actually confronting this wolf who is the epitome of death that's when you see the hair on his you know rise up the the eyes dilating and it was so well put together and that brings me to you know the villain <laughs> a good story is only you know yeah a story is only as good as its villain and with the wolf what you guys did just even you know with that auditory cue the whistle that comes on at the very end but by, by when it comes all the way to the end you see you hear that motif repeating and it's scary in a way you know you feel for puss so much you're in his shoes by the end you're in his boots <laughs> yes <laughs> You <laughs> were literally putting you in his boots. Um, you know, that that was a, a fun journey with uh, the character of, of mm -hmm. the wolf or death uh, that, you know, the co-director, Daniel Mercado, and I are, we love um, spaghetti westerns. And mm -hmm. we also love kind of the Eastern counterpart in samurai movies, especially Akira Kurosawa's. Kurosawa, um, yeah. yeah. And the, the wolf kind of was this amalgamation of, like like a Clint Eastwood type <laughs> bounty hunter feel like mm. this chiseled guy who's just gonna he's, he's gruff and there's something like hard-edged about him um and also um like a wisdom that he like quietly carries like like in a samurai film and there's this honor this code that he has and mm. Puss has essentially broken this code for us something interesting because we talk about like uh, a villain and we kept reminding ourselves and the crew that like the wolf is not a villain in, in the, that, the kind of common way where he's just the antagonist because puss is the one that's deeply flawed. Puss is exactly. the one that, that is he's not in the wrong. Including. He's in the wrong. Yeah. And that, yeah. and, and that, and that's back to that kind of samurai inspiration where you have this wolf who's just like, man, this guy doesn't value life. <sighs> Hmm. And he doesn't respect death. 
myself. <laughs> and that's something with, with the, the actor Wagner Mora, um, amazing guy and just such a great partner in finding this character. We talked about that point of view and he was able to kind of get that nuance where there's this vendetta that the wolf has, but you, you at least, especially as the story progresses, you understand why Puss is so deeply flawed and why the wolf yeah. might be uh, frustrated at him, even though you're still rooting for, for Puss. And I think that was what was um, so kind of interesting about this dynamic of between Puss and the wolf throughout the story where it feels so nuanced and so grounded and real um, that uh, something we, Daniel and I talk about is that movies are less about a character arcing as they are about a character in relationship to another character and how they change. Mm. Um, and, and that like, I, back to like, what's so interesting about Puss in Boots and the wolf is where they start with Puss not respecting, laughing at death. And this death is like, I am going to kill you <laughs> because yeah. you don't appreciate anything. And then that final standoff at the end where Puss can look the wolf in the eye and say, I know I can never defeat you, but I'll never stop fighting for this life. And, and this kind of thing of like, this character has changed so much. And we had a lot of fun with that moment where the wolf stares puss in the eyes. Um, and Janiel and Wagner actually improvised that moment where in Spanish, the wolf mm. says, ah, I shouldn't have played with my food. Because <laughs> it's like, he didn't, he wasn't trying to be wise and, and help puss learn mm. wanted to punish puss but uh, because puss actually grew as a person um he that he could it was against his code to kill him now mm. he's like ah i can't kill you i really wanted to and there's something fun with that relationship where there's a mutual respect um and i think that's uh was a, a really um a cool story that we got to tell with those two Exactly. And the fact that, you know, every character has their own moral code and pushes, it changes through his interactions with death itself and the other characters along the way. Uh, it's, it's amazing because, like, it's not just about uh, the, the whole existential part, but you are imparting values to kids who grow up watching stories like this. You know, like inadvertently, the the movies that I've watched have shaped my lives and my life and the values that I've accumulated along the way. And all this stuff kind of happens subconsciously. And to put it in such a cool way, and like, you know, how did you guys know that this would work? Because it's filmmaking is sometimes like a gamble, right? You just throw oh, yeah. something out there and you hope that the audience likes it. Because by the time it's released, you guys have been working on this movie for what ages? And you become kind of, uh, what do you call it, numb to certain aspects of it. Yeah. You know, on this one, um, we actually, we did have the double-edged sword here. We made it pretty quickly. We really, really? Uh, yeah, we, um, from start to finish, about a year and a half. Um, but we had the the advantage of hindsight with all the talented people that had come before with things they were mm. trying to crack with the story. Um we it's interesting where i i like to think about the audience um like i was mentioning in in trusting that they will understand things and be you know be smart enough to know things that we don't have to overstate um yeah. but 
I think for us, it's like we were just going, trying to to tell the story properly. And um, there is a, a a fear where you're like, you're like, well, people understand what we're trying to say because I think as a, as a crew, we really we all knew we had this 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 movie was special in the way it had a big message and a lot of accompanying themes to this message of celebrating our one life we're gifted with, you know, that this, I think one of the, the big challenging stories was we wanted to show what Puss's flaw was. Um, and you know, th this idea that he's, he's, he doesn't have any connections, any, any relationships that he values. And um, he runs away from the ones that are solidifying. He, he runs away from, from them. And he, yeah. he's constantly um, putting up, you know, kind of shields, uh, personas of fearless hero. I'm, I'm not afraid of anything um, that, that allow that get in the way of meaningful connections in his life. Mm. And we are like, okay, that's, <laughs> that's something we want to say. How can we show that in a really fun way? And we found these ingredients realizing, well, you have a, a talking cat who wears boots, a hat, a belt, a sword. Um, those are essentially his, his armor, his shield that in a way have been the source of him distancing himself from others. Mm -hmm. He's become this large in life persona and maybe lost the, the, the roots of who he is. And so we took those things away from him. We, we in the, in the fight with the, the wolf, we take Puss's sword away and he doesn't get it back till the end of the end of the movie. And we give him a stick. It's like, it's so fun. And that's what I love about comedy is like, find the, the drama, find the, the, the reality, and then just turn it up and exaggerate it. And it becomes comedic. And, and it's fun to, to punish Puss in Boots because he's got such a, a charisma and an ego about him. So he won't admit that he has a stick because he lost it to a wolf. He tells Kitty that, you know, it's, it, things are too easy. So he's, he's trying to stick. Instead stick. Of um, another source of, of um, kind of barriers where the, is like, we, we comedically have him grow a beard while at my <laughs> And, and I think for us, there was questions about like within the studio of like, well, should we have him shave that beard sooner? And, and our head of story, Heidi Jo Gilbert, was very adamant about this is an emotional prop. This is to help mm. you see we need Puss to be forced into kind of a corner and start to let down his guard and ask for help. And this is a story of somebody who's first asking for help, let his shield down, and he's going to get kind of rewarded along the way with connections. And that the first connection he receives is when he asks Kitty Softpaws to shave his beard and... And there's a little like spark between them. Um, mm. And and then, and that's kind of a comedic kind of baby step of, of asking for help, right? Then the very next scene, that wolf comes in and strikes fear into him and he, anxiety kicks in and, and he's, he's lost his hat. He has no sword. He's now, he's, he's, he's asked for a little help and shave the beard. And we have this scene where in that panic attack, <sighs> we really wanted to now take the rest away from Puss. So you got the physical props that we've taken away, but in this panic attack, he can't hear. 
the the audio is awesome there where mm. it's just this pounding of his heart he has this yeah. he can't even hear the dog properly who's who's saying puss puss um he's he can't see it's like blurred vision and all he has is the 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 um the ability to feel and that's what ends up making that literal connection when the dog kind of puts his head on his chest. And so for us, it was like taking these big topics and going like, is we don't want to be preachy and we don't want to make something so kind of clinical that audience disconnects, but like, how can we have fun with all these, these ingredients about letting our guards down and making connections. And so, um, and that, I mean, that was something we followed all the way through the end of the movie where when to test Puss to see if he truly has grown, um, when he's fighting with the wolf at the, uh, on the start, at the very end, the fire surrounding him, what happens yeah. there? When the wolf knocks his sword out of his hand, he, he knocks Puss's hat back off. He cuts Puss's boot and Puss's down to nothing. Mm. And then the, puss, the wolf swings at Puss and... What does Puss do? He has the Catito blade, which was a reward of him asking for help earlier. Oh, yeah. And and then you go, this guy has grown to not need all of these things he's always leaned on. Um, and so we love just using visual metaphors mm -hmm. to to really kind of and it's an unconscious, like you'd mentioned, but that hopefully when you build that throughout the whole story, you don't have to stop the story and say, This is the theme which mm. is one of my pet peeves because it, it ages the story down in a way. It feels true, like true. you're over-explaining it. Yeah. And to balance such a, uh, you know, sim I'd say the story is pretty simple, but you <clears throat> manage to do that with so many characters as well. You know, you have Big Jack <laughs> as well. You got Goldilocks and the Three Bears. I mean, it, it's a proper trajectory that all the characters go in search of the fallen star and, uh, you know, everything converges at the end, but it's all done so, so well, every, every single thread is, uh, you know, tied up at the end. Uh, I've seen this movie, I think around three, four times. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for watching so much. <laughs> Had to, man. I mean, I, I love cats myself. I have a very, I, I was trying to get him inside the house. I don't know where he's gone to. I have an orange, uh, a ginger. Oh yeah. Orange, uh, ginger. So I, I know all about how selfish cats can be and also how loving they can be when they really want something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, actually, that was the, one of the fun things was, um, which I think, you know, right from the very beginning on in Shrek 2, when, when Puss kind of stole the show, um, the, in a way, the Puss in Boots really kind of sums up what we love about cats. There's, mm. there's, there's an ego and an arrogance that we love about like the, the cats, like if, if a cat slips, it's like, it's, it's going to play it off. Like it's nothing happened. Um, and being able to get those kind of little qualities into Puss's character that feels like, I see how that reminds me of my cat. <laughs> um, yeah, one too. It's, it's so fun, you yeah. know? And, and I think, um, we try to do the same with Perito when we brought mm. in a dog in this the story, dog, yeah. going like, what what are the things we think of when we think of pet dogs and and mm. what what attributes those you know dogs have is like they're silly, they're clumsy, 
yeah. but they're loyal and faithful and they're listeners and all they care about is you and True. to be able to like bring those qualities that we, we, you know, attribute to different animals and then to put those into these, these talking <laughs> animated characters was a really fun thing that I think helped guide the story as well. What were the unique challenges of, you know, working on uh, animation as opposed to live action? I mean, you've worked in animation quite a lot. And also uh, with Puss in Boots 2, you adopted this uh, 2D, 3D merge, which, you know, Spider-Verse, I think, kind of set that trend and you adopted it so well. So uh, what were the challenges in, you know, doing something like that? Uh, yeah, you know, I think whenever you're... Cause like you mentioned, like Spider-Verse really kind of One second. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> What's your cat's name? Bunny. Bunny? Yep. He, he used to have, like, longer years when he was a kitten. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Looked like a little rabbit. <laughs> Bunny's big. <laughs> he is big. He big is boy. big. <laughs> so cute. My mom takes care of him better than he, she takes care of him. <laughs> oh, that's hi. adorable. Hey, hi. Hi, Joe. Hi, Bunny. Hi. <laughs> uh, um, All right, there you go. <laughs> oh, man, that's, that's funny. Because when you ask the question about, like, what were some of the challenges? Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of hard stuff. And then when I see a, a, a pet that, like, a cat, I'm like, oh, all the, all the stress melts away. Cats, <laughs> All animals are such kind of therapeutic animals. Yeah. Seeing them. Um, but I mean, so I think there, you mentioned a couple things that I think this story was challenging where we had, we had a, a huge ensemble. Um, hmm. And for us, we, we wanted to make sure every character had a purpose in the story uh, that, and so that was a constant like editorial thing where um, Jim Ryan, our, our, editor who I've worked with on two movies. He's so talented. And we were constantly adding two scenes and taking away because when you like Goldilocks and the three bears, for, for example, mm. um, that's two, an entire story in itself. I mean, you could make that the focus of the movie and it still would work, I guess. And that, and that was the, the, yeah. I think our, our challenge initially was we love these characters and, you know, we're, we know all of these characters so well that we're enjoying telling all of their stories. Mm. Um, but we had to remind ourselves the role of the, the bears in the story. You know, they, they start as antagonists. They, um, they are seen as like villains by the audience because they want what Puss wants. They want that, that yeah. magic star. Um, and so our challenge was like, we just needed just enough screen time to get who they were and then to discover there's something more to them than them just being a hardened gang of criminals. They're actually a family. And and Goldie is an orphan who yeah. has a secret wish that she's going to wish for a whole new family, a human family. And to be able to find the right balance, we're constantly like cutting out. There was so much content with, I mean, amazing cast with Florence Pugh and Samson Kale and Ray Winstone and yeah. Livy Queen. Um, but so finding like just the right balance so that their, their story kind of snuck up on the audience. And one, one thing that helped us was to have a template to simplify. And we, we 
constantly went back to um, the good, the bad, and the ugly, a spaghetti Western kind of the Sergio Leone. Like it's, yeah. it's three, three groups who are after the same ultimate treasure. Yeah. And, and so um, for us, we said the good, we got Puss, Kitty and mm. Perito. You got the bad. And for us, that was Jack Horner. Like was a, he was, he was the bad that affected everybody. Um, and like the, the wolf is a, such a personal internal thing for puss mm. that exists outside of that. Um, and then we, so we called it the good, the bad and the goldie, uh, because in the good, the bad and the ugly, the, the character that represents the ugly was the, was just kind of misunderstood. Mm. And we wanted that to be the same feeling with, with Goldie where you're going, Oh, there's more to her than I thought. Right. So by, by creating kind of simplifying templates, it helped us juggle and remind ourselves like how much screen time everybody should get. Um, mm. And then, but I think back to another challenge was, okay, it's been over a decade since the last Puss in Boots movie animation is evolving the audiences have become more sophisticated and they've evolved in their taste um you know and like i was saying with spider-verse it kind of kicked the doors open um in the industry of going cg movies don't have to look one way animated movies can look so many different ways and this is something that i think as artists all of us i mean i, I love like watching anime i like like there's so many things that you go there's so many different beautiful forms of animation um i think what was great was the studio saw the success of spider-verse mm. and said we can be unique we can be different in in what this these these looks are like and um for us nate rag the production designer really kind of honed in on like to tell a fairy tale story, what if it looked like a fairy tale painting? So to mm. make it its own thing versus not just doing what Spider-Verse had done with, which made sense because of the comic book thing of like, but we're not going to just do something because it's cool. It's like we have, to, we have to have a reason, a story reason behind it. And I think that was the, there was a back and forth of finding that right balance of it looking CG and three dimensional enough but having like a painterly style where you feel like you could touch, you know, the, the environment and you could touch the character. And, um, and so that was like a journey. And then with the animation style, um, we saw an opportunity to use traditional CG that was very smooth and everything was on one, mm. what audiences are used to, um, and contrast that with what we call stepped animation, which is, um, where they will use uh, animation will be held like one pose will be held for two frames, three frames, four frames. And so it won't be smooth, but your eye is picking up really strong dynamic poses. And it, the result is it feels fantastical. Mm. And so for us is that we wanted to go, well, with the ingredients we have of a, of a cat who thinks he is uh, invulnerable to death, mm. who, um, who is kind of fearless when he's fighting, say a giant, like, how can we use the, the animation technique to, to like highlight that? And so for us, it was like, we use the stepped animation during action scenes. They feel turned up, exciting, but also exaggerated and they don't feel grounded. Um, and then in the, in moments where 
we have puss experiencing connections or fear, very grounded emotions, we go back to traditional it's kind of animation yeah. and smooth. And, and our, our feeling was like, we don't have to, you don't have to be uh, an animator and a film school student to appreciate the, how it switches up as an audience, you should just feel the difference. And because it's related to Puss's kind of character journey that it, it doesn't take you out, but it, it, it helps articulate it in a clearer way. So that's, that's what it is. Challenge. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is at the end of the day, you know, you make your audience feel something for the duration of the movie. You know, most people just want to escape the woes and troubles of the daily lives go go get entertained and hopefully walk away with something uh you know some sort of message too and that's what Puss in Boots manages to do so nicely and then you guys can go go ahead and get Oscar nominated how is that <laughs> you know honestly we never expected it so it was awesome <laughs> I you know I was so happy I was so happy because I remember enjoying the first Puss in Booth and then looking at the, the box office numbers back in 2011. And I think the first weekend, it was like right at number one. And I was like, oh, nice. Because I always have a soft spot for Puss in Boots. And then coming and seeing this, I'm like, goodness, this is, this is fresh. And I was looking at the Oscar nominations and to see this getting Oscar nominated was, you know, you're telling a fantasy story about fairy tale characters. And, you know, it goes so far, it goes to show how good storytelling, despite whatever medium you're using, just transcends all these barriers and people connect so well with it. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. It was, it was fun because we, like, we, we put like everything, our, our entire crew, like put so much mm. like love into every frame of this. And so it, it was actually a really enjoyable experience creating this story with our, with our crew. Um, and it was such a great way to celebrate it. Like first by how it was received at the box office, like with, with audiences continuing to go and, and it having really great legs in the theaters, um, the, the, the critics, um, embracing the movie the way they did, it was just, it was so wonderful. Um, and I think, um, like you were talking about with the panic attack and the wolf elements that were probably kind of daring for what you'd expect for an animated well <clears throat> to a spinoff like um plus i remember were... that moment i sorry i i just want oh, yeah. to add this in no, there uh, i remember this specific moment in the movie you know that the wolf says he's been around to witness every single one of uh, puss's deaths right and then i saw this meme up online where uh, when he fights the troll you see the wolf in the crowd. Yeah. It's like a, <laughs> it's we, like such a nuanced moment. <laughs> you know, we, we love putting like, there, there's a lot of like kind of hidden details that it, it's hard. It's not calling them Easter eggs because they're not like, they're not things that are outside the story. They're, they're all related to um, reinforcing the story so that if you enjoy it, hopefully you'll rewatch it and you'll find that it's th that we put all the love into it that, you know, yes, he was there when, when Puss killed that giant, the giant and, and then <laughs> the giant yeah. all fell on him. Um, and so I, I think, I mean, in a way, all of the, the 
effort we put in back to your original question was like, it was so amazing to, to be nominated for so many different um, awards and really for the opportunity to, to go to the Oscars. Um, and really the, the, the love the movie received from everybody was just, it, it was an amazing experience. And, and I think um, why it meant so much even to us was there was so many great animated movies uh, in our year. And that was why we were like, oh, well, we're not expecting to get nominated. Um, and we're just enjoying how animation just keeps getting pushed and how many diverse stories, um, you know, were being told and like, looking at, you know, from DreamWorks, we had the bad guys, which we were in very proud of, pushed the style, great story, very funny. Yeah. And then you had like, um, you had Wendell and Wilde and with Henry Selleck. And then, then you had like, you know, Guillermo's Pinocchio. So you have like these two stop motion things, which are amazing. And then, you know, turning red Domi's thing, which is so personal and so fun. Um, and then the sea beast, it was like, all these things that were like, you're like, wow, there are so many good movies that go on and on and on. It's like for us to get one of the slots, it meant a lot. And, um, and so, yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. With what you guys are doing, you know, the way animation has evolved in the past few years, I guess people are coming to see that it's not just kids. Uh, it's not just for kids. It's a medium for storytelling, which I think you very correctly, you know, uh, stated. And, uh, and I think that's uh, one of my inspirations for a long time has been um, Brad Bird um, mm. going way back to Iron Giant. Um, even uh, yeah. when I was in film school, he came in because he went to Cal Arts. And so he came and did a early screening of Incredibles for us and a Q&A afterwards. And just to see a hero like that and being so genuine and so passionate about. And one of the things he always said um, was animation isn't a genre animation isn't just for it's like this has been many many people have have um stated this over the years and i think it's something we continually need to push and so grateful guillermo pushed it we've been pushing it going like animation there's movies that are for younger audience um but it can be everything it can it can tell any stories you want it's just you're just choosing to use animation to tell it. Um, and I think that's the thing where for myself, um, I want to continue to tell stories that, that keep pushing the boundaries. Um, and, but I, I think for myself, I love stories that are accessible to everybody that, mm. um, and that I, I just love like big blockbuster kind of feeling things where it's like, it's, I love comedy. I love action. Um, but in terms of all the ingredients, like for me, my stories like have to have something to say. And, um, but I, I think it's an exciting time, you know, in, in animation in general, because um, there's many movies I'm looking forward to seeing this year, you know? <laughs> so. On that note, uh, final question. Where can we uh, see Puss going in the future? Ooh, that is a good question. There's been a lot of like, yeah, questions about like, <laughs> so what's, is there Puss in Boots 3? What's, what's next? Um, you know, and also, um, you know, conversations about, you know, Shrek 5 and all that. But um, for myself, I, um, I don't know yet, but 
I love these characters so much that, um, you know, I always like, I think our, part of our job, like after like directing two sequels, um, you I probably want to do something original. Well, I, yes. Um, I, I am very much interested in, in some original stories, but, um, the, the experience I've gotten on directing sequels is that I can't view them as sequels. Um, and any story is yeah, really, you're choosing a moment in the character's life. Um, true. and, and you're trying to find like the most, <laughs> the, the biggest life-changing moment and telling a story about that. But the character in your mind exists before the story starts and exists after the story starts or ends. I mean, um, and so, yeah. For me, in talking about, oh, well, these characters live on, like, of course, I'd want to see a Puss in Boots 3. Um, what's the next next big life event that happens? And uh, so uh, that's a long way of saying, I don't know, but I love these characters and I hope there, there's more for all of them. <laughs> Over here, you know, even on the other side of the world, we are looking forward to seeing uh, where these characters go to and also what you're going to be up to next and, you know, Wishing you guys all the very best, man. Keep doing what you do because these stories, we need more of them. They're inspirational and in a world where you have so much chaos. If you're coming out of chaos with the pandemic and all these crises, you know, it's it, it's a tough time. But then again, movies, yeah. they provide this sort of escapism and uh, the inspiration that we need to keep moving forwards, you know? And I'm glad you brought that up. Of And thank you that um, the... For, for myself, I think, you know, I'd mentioned what, like, ingredients I like with comedy, action, and yeah. um, and heart. But I I feel like um, the world is, it needs positivity. <laughs> um, it and, and You so, can say that a thousand times. <laughs> right? It's like, it's, and, and what I love about, about films, about stories, is, it connects us as they connect us as human beings. They take us like we're talking, you know, different parts of the world, right? That, yeah. and and like you said earlier, like you you take an audience and you put them in a character's shoes or in a character's boots, <laughs> and I mean to think like that, people of all ages, all different genders, all different walks of life, can sit down in a theater and emotionally connect to a cat that's wearing boots and talking and and be able to feel human emotions almost like a migration of birds right that like they're in sync and they're yes. laughing at the same moments they're they're crying at, at other moments they're cheering like that's what's cool about telling stories is it connects human beings and and for what i like to do i want people to walk away feeling that 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 connection and and a positivity and i think that's just something that our world needs is like connecting to each other and and and, a, and gratitude for what we have gratitude that's that's a very very important thing that so many of us forget you know you take so many things for granted but at the end of the Absolutely. day it's what you have that's what first has right Absolutely. And, and, uh, but we, it, we, as humans, it's like, we, we have to keep reminding ourselves. I have to remind myself all the time. And so we got to tell so many stories that remind us <laughs> of what we have and what we can be thankful for. <laughs> Joel, thank you so much for, you know, uh, inspiring 
and reminding us about uh, the value of the simple things. Uh, <laughs> you and everybody, you. <laughs> uh, the whole team at DreamWorks for a movie like Puss in Boots, the wait was worth it. And cannot wait to see what you guys do next. So thank you so much again for coming on board the show. And uh, yeah, man, it's amazing. Well, thank you for having me, Akash. This has been awesome. It was really fun to talk to you. Awesome. Thank you so much. And until next time, this is John Katkiri, folks. <laughs>